Welcome to Rhode Island Avenue Radio, where we'll talk about news, education, and opportunities for small businesses on the Rhode Island Avenue Main Street and in Washington, D.C. I'm Michelle Yancey. And I'm Kyle Todd. Welcome to Rhode Island Avenue Radio. Good morning, and welcome back to another episode of Rhode Island Avenue Radio. Uh, so I'm flying solo today. Well, not completely solo because Rodney's back there like he always is. Hello, Rodney. Um, good morning. I'll talk this morning. Good morning, Kyle. Oh, good morning. <laughs> good to hear your voice. Uh, Michelle is out today uh, for some reason. Um, well, it's her birthday, and I guess she thought she wanted to spend her birthday doing something else other than hanging out with us, Rodney. I'm trying not to have my feelings hurt about it. But anyway, uh, if y'all see, see her around the neighborhood, give her a happy birthday wish. Okay, so we uh, always want to start off the episode by thanking our sponsors, the Department of Small and Local Business Development and the Department of Housing and Community Development. It is their grant dollars to us that allows us to produce this project, and uh, and it allows us to help small businesses up and down the Rhode Island Avenue Main Street Corridor. So thank you to DSLBD and DHCD. Um, it's that time of year where every single episode I'm going to say Fall Fest, September 30th. Fall Fest, September 30th from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. Um, we have um, just a very few vendor slots left. So if you are interested in um, participating in Fall Fest as a vendor, get over to riamainstreet.org and sign up because we want to have you join us. Um, but we're quickly running out of spaces. So get over there today and take care of it. Uh, if you're interested in being a sponsor for Fall Fest or Rhode Island Avenue Radio, either one or both, give me a call, 202-808-9050, or shoot me an email, kyle at riamainstreet.org. We would love to uh, brag about having you as a partner in, in our work here. Okay, so that's going to wrap up um, those early morning announcements, um, and I'm very excited to welcome our guest today. Um, we are joined today by the Director of the Office of Human Rights, uh, Director Monica Palacio. Welcome. Thank you, Carl. I'm glad to be here. We are uh, so glad to have you join us. Um, there have been um, some new policies that have rolled out um, from the Office of Human Rights that are directly uh, impacting employment procedures. And so that's one of the primary reasons why we wanted to have you join us today. Um, so thank you for taking time out of your schedule. Um, so let's, let's just dive right in. Um, what are some of the new things that employers need to be uh, considering now um, that they may not have done before from a human rights standpoint? Right. So at the office, we investigate complaints of discrimination in employment, housing, educational institutions, and also in access to public services or government services. Um, in the arena of employment, in, in December 2014, the Ban the Box Law was passed. Yep. It's uh, The title of the legis legislation is much longer. It's the Fair Criminal Records Screening Amendment Act. And <laughs> ban the it's box essentially is so much easier. Ban the box, yeah. <laughs> so this means that employers are not allowed to consider or ask the question on an application for employment um, about arrest records, convictions, any kind of criminal record until a conditional offer of employment has been made. Hmm. So that means you look at the individual and their qualifications, you interview them, and you make them a conditional offer of employment. At that point in the process, you are allowed to ask information about their, oops, criminal background. So is there, um, 
is there any um, is there any time when say your you know an employer has a very um, sensitive position you know whether it's you know working with small children or large amounts of money or something like that is is that something that um, is a, a loophole or that they can work around or is it still they can't really make that that ask about that history until the offer is made that's a great clarifying question sorry so essentially in the large majority of employment situations um, you don't have those vulnerable or sensitive positions but in the small percent percentage where there are there are exceptions so if a federal law or another DC law requires a background check at the, at the very threshold um, stage then then that must be done and a great example is working with vulnerable populations someone who's working in a child care facility or a hospital working with um, patients or has access to any other type of vulnerable population, we consider those on a case-by-case basis. So employers can ask, ask for an exception um, by filing a motion to dismiss saying, we believe we're exempt because either a federal law or a D.C. law requires us to do this or because we fall into one of these categories of exceptions. Now, there are certain criteria in the example you gave about handling lots of money. Let's say that you're hiring a teller position at a bank or some other position where you feel like you need to consider someone's criminal background in order to make a a firm decision. Well, in those cases, there are criteria. So if, if, for example, I had some kind of criminal record and it involved something around finances or money, um, and the position would also require me to handle finances or money. An employer could ask for an exception based on that very narrow criteria, but it would have to f- fit right into the slot of the position you're going into. Right. And we also consider proximity. You know, if the conviction was 25 years ago and now you're looking for employment, that's also a, a factor. So. It's really considered on a case-by-case basis, and I know that people sometimes feel like, well, you're taking away our right to control who we hire. We're not. We really want to give everyone a fair shot, and the mayor is very committed to helping returning citizens find gainful employment because that is an essential piece of rebuilding their lives. Yes, yes. And, you know, our, our Ward 5 council member, Kenyon McDuffie, I think he was the one that introduced the, he did. Yes. the legislation. Um, so we're, we're absolutely proud to... To welcome this, this is a new policy to the to the DC area. Um, that is that is in effect now. Yes, it is. It's been in effect since December 2014. Great, really 2014. Yes. Gosh, time flies when you're having fun, man. <laughs> yes. I feel like it was just yesterday it was introduced, but no, that's that that's fantastic. Um, and uh, and there's there's more changes uh, in, in our ever evolving community and economy um, for for businesses uh, you know we had uh, here in DC a rollout of um, you know, bathroom protection uh, policy of single stall bathrooms must be gender neutral that's correct yes and uh, I was looking at the uh, Office of Human Rights website the OHR website and uh, you have quite a bit of information on on uh, reporting uh, if there's businesses that have those single stall um, facilities that are not gender neutral 
there's there's reporting mechanisms for that because you guys are pretty serious about this. We are. We take it very seriously. So this goes back to 2006. So in 2006, gender identity and expression were added as protected traits to the Human Rights Act. And as everyone already knows, I'm sure, you know, we have one of the broadest, most progressive uh, local civil rights laws in the country here in the district. So in 2006, gender identity and expression were added, and the regulations that corresponded to that, what does that mean, how do we operationalize this, included requiring businesses to have, if you have a single stall restroom, it must be labeled in a gender neutral way. So what does that mean? It must say bathroom instead of men, women. Um, That's one simple example. In order to help, you know, because people needed to have time to adjust to this new regulation, you know, we realized around 2012, 2013, that not everyone had really understood what this meant and that it applied to them. So we created our Safe Bathrooms DC campaign where we encouraged people, if you happen to be out at dinner Saturday night and you go to the restroom and you realize it's a single stall bathroom that's not labeled, it's not in compliance, it's not labeled in a gender neutral way, you could just tweet a picture of it to us and we send a friendly letter to the business saying, you know, as you know, this law has been in effect for several years now, we're going to give you 30, 60 days to go ahead and change the sign. And by and large, businesses do. Um, every now and then someone's like, well, why? What does it mean? Why do I have to do this? And we work with them to explain it. And we rarely have to do, take any serious enforcement action. People just want to know. Sure, you know why, sure. Why do we do this? And uh, why do I have to do it? Yeah. I right after this went into effect in DC, we uh, were visited by um, a reporter out of the. No, it wasn't right after that because it was when it went national. When there was oh, a yes. national discussion, yes. we had a reporter visit from uh, North Carolina to get um, input from some of our businesses about the impact of that law for them. And you know, every business owner to to the business owner said. There, there is no impact. Right. It's just a bathroom. And, exactly. You know, we're we're not big enough, a big enough facility to have multi-stall facilities anyway. It's just a place for people to go <laughs> relieve themselves, and it's just not a big deal. And yeah, there was the you know, question of did you lose money on this? Mm-hmm. No, it didn't cost us anything. We, t- you know, except for the plaque that has the little two right. little figures on it, but. That's right. Yeah. And I also had um, <clears throat> several news stations come and interview me and say, well, what has happened in the district since you since this law came into being? <laughs> I said, actually nothing. Yeah. Um, and they ask if there have been any reports of, you know, um, attacks or violence in bathrooms. And they're always against the transgender individual. Yeah. They're never against anyone else. Right. So this measure is vitally important for transgender, individu- transgender individuals to feel safe and to just feel like they can choose where to go to the restroom, number one, it makes it much easier for families mm-hmm. who need to use the restroom. One time I was in Maryland, I won't say where, and waiting in line to use the restroom with my son. And he said, well, why can't we use any bathroom we want? <laughs> I mean, he was six and he got it he in got an instant. It. He's like, why do we have to wait for the women's bathroom? Why can't we go? You know, I said, because they're labeled this way and we're going to wait in line. And it's a very natural change you know to make i think people once they understand it and i also want to mention that at the reeves building we have the first multi-gender multi-stall bathroom so government buildings are start we're going to start transitioning to have more bathrooms that are not just single stall because in a large building you have much larger bathrooms but we have on the second floor of the reeves building 
a multi-gender bathroom. So anyone can go in, it's multi-stall, and it's been received, you know, with, you know, great hope and promise, and we hope to be doing that soon um, at 441 uh, 4th Street as well. Well, you know, I, as, as someone who's spent years going into the men's room, I, I apologize in advance to all the ladies that are going to have to share these <laughs> restrooms. Yeah, you guys, you need to clean up. I need to clean up a little bit better. Sorry, guys. <laughs> do, do better, man. Um, yeah, that's, that is fantastic. I'm going to have to go check that out just, just to say I've experienced it. Um, but, you know, I've been in other, like in, oh gosh, there was a fancy restaurant in New York. I was at a conference and they had a thing at a fancy restaurant. Um, and the, the bathrooms, it was just all one big room with stalls and, you know, wash, uh, hand washing sinks in, in the middle. And it just wasn't a thing. It, you just, God, I, I just don't understand the, the whole concern around bathrooms myself but yeah but we're evolving so. i think as a city we've learned and people are, you know get the message and it's it's becoming quite the norm now and uh and springboarding off of the discussion of safety for transgender individuals um believe you guys have a, a new handbook out or some new publication for employers on working with transgender employees Right. So we have a, <clears throat> a handbook that's called Valuing Transgender Employees and Applicants, which gives employee, employers basic information, right? Why is confidentiality important? Why is not outing someone a very important thing in the workplace? Why do we want to make sure that we use the pronoun that the individual uh, prefers to be used? Um, sometimes people just don't understand the difference. Someone might just try to be friendly and say, well, he, she, I'm not sure that, you know, <laughs> don't mind me, I'm silly. <clears throat> but for that individual, it could create a hostile work environment. Yeah. And we want to make sure that both co-workers and the employer respects that individual so they can feel safe and feel welcome. Uh, for example, at our office, um, everyone signs, has a signature line that's, that underneath it says preferred pronoun. Yeah. She, her. And that gives you an immediate indicator because often there are names, you know, I'm calling someone back and I don't know how they identify. Right. So I'm guessing. I might say miss or mister and I'm completely wrong. So it helps all of us kind of take a moment to make sure we're treating the person we're speaking to with respect. And this uh, handbook was also, <clears throat> excuse me, born out of a testing project where we sent resumes to employers to see if they could, um, if a transgender applicant with, you know, obvious information uh, could get a job interview just as easily as a cisgender or someone who's, you know, identifies with their biology at birth. And um, one, almost one out of two transgender resumes didn't get an interview. Mm. So we decided that we had to do more to help employers learn and understand and, and kind of be accepting because employment is a key issue for the transgender community as it is for all, everyone they need a job in order to have a good life sure. so um, this handbook has been really well received I think it was one of the first of the kind in its country and we partnered with some uh, large organizations to do it and put it out there and it's available on our website all of our information fact sheets can be downloaded and printed or viewed for free on the website so hopefully people will do that 
Yeah, I you know the the website for listeners is ohr.dc.gov. Uh, just a wealth of information on here, and and OHR also uh, does housing discrimination uh, complaints and and handles those issues and and awareness and education. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit of that about that? Yes, I'd love to because we have a new law that we'll be enforcing this coming October, and similar to ban the box, it's ban the box in housing. So. Mm. So now if a landlord or a housing provider um, has a rental application, they can't have a question on there um, that says, have you ever been convicted of a crime or do you have an arrest record? That, those questions, again, cannot be asked until an offer of <clears throat> housing has been made. Excuse me. <clears throat> so we want to give people a chance to present themselves and say, I want to apply for an apartment. I, I can pay for the apartment and I want to live here without being pre-screened for a potential criminal record. So that law will be in effect starting <clears throat> October 1st, and we're very excited about it because it's something that is, you know, given the limited housing stock in the district, we want to make sure everyone has a fair chance, and the yeah. mayor is very supportive of this as well. Everyone gets a fair chance to rent a place to live. As well they should. I mean, it's one of those basic human rights. Um, and the the idea that you know dc has such a robust um returning citizens program for em, for employment and you know like our our clean team uh we contract with a, an organization called career path dc and you know they hire returning citizens uh give them that first job uh and and teach them skills <coughs> that they would not have otherwise gotten or certainly not easily uh, so it only makes sense that the same uh, thing is is extended to uh, residents. So that's yes. that's fantastic. <clears throat> we agree, and and we hope we've been working a lot with housing providers already, <clears throat> so they know that this law is coming into play. They understand the requirements, and they can come to OHR, and you know we can check out an application and say, is this okay? You know, are we asking questions correctly? We can do the same for employment. As a matter of fact, for employers. You know, we if people would like to submit their job application and say, is this okay, can OHR, you know, sign off on it, we're happy to do that. Oh, great. So we're, we try to be as proactive as possible and help people out. No one wants to break the law. Of course not. I think that it, it happens often because of lack of information. Yep, yep. And that's why we welcome you to come talk today because it's just another opportunity to, to get educated about it. Um, so if employers or, um, <clears throat> or uh, landlords want to uh, take advantage of, of this review process? Is that something they email in? Do they bring it into the office? If so, what are, what are the hours on that? What, right. how, how do they do it? Yeah, I think email is the best way to do it. We have um, an email uh, where they can send it, and that's ohr at dc.gov. Um, yeah. There's also often <clears throat> an Ask the Director link on our website. They can send it to Ask the Director. All of those emails reviewed, and our um, team will take a look at them and tell employers that we're happy to, to uh, you know, review and approve them. We also have a resource center training on Ban the Box and Employment and Housing, August 29th at 10 a.m. at DCRA um, headquarters at 1100 Fourth Street. So we're happy to welcome people to come in and ask their questions there. Great, and that is uh, 1100 Fourth Street Southwest fourth floor um suite e 4302 
Uh, and it looks like that this is uh, the D.C. housing uh, criminal background uh, policy. Looks like it goes into effect October 1st. That's right. Great. That's great. Um, so that is two, two new important laws. Um, yep. The, the Fair Housing, Fair Criminal Record Screening for Housing and the Fair Credit and Employment Amendment Act. Let's talk about the fair credit and employment. That's that's the ban the box? No, that's <clears throat> an additional statute. So that oh, that's statute. A, that's another new one. Okay. <laughs> yes. So what happened also during this past legislative season is the city council added credit information as a protected trait. Oh. So this means that if you're applying for a job and your, your prospective employer wants to check your credit score, they can't do that. They can't screen you out based on your credit score. You know, it's now a protected trait. That just, make, that just makes so much sense. I, I I remember seeing that on applications in the past, and I'm like, why would I give you permission to look at my – I don't have anything to hide, but seriously, why would I give you that? That's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and ironically, you know, people who are struggling financially or because of medical bills or whatever it might be or, you know, poor decision on a credit card – need that job more than anyone else. Sure. So why not give them a chance to be a wonderful employee? Yeah, yeah, no kidding. Um, this, is, this is great stuff. Um, what, what are some of the other great things you have going on? <clears throat> well, we're doing a lot. So 80% of our work is enforcement. So people can file a claim or a, a complaint with our office and it is it, so really quickly to go through the process. You don't need an attorney. You you come in and do intake. We work with you to docket your charge, which formalizes the charge. <clears throat> and essentially, there's the next step is mandatory mediation. So almost one out of two cases close at that point. Mm-hmm. There's usually a successful settlement at the mediation stage. For the cases that don't, they then go on to full investigation. And those cases continue, and our investigators talk to witnesses, review documents, and the case. Then we issue a finding. So it's a it's a process that we try to make it very manageable for individuals, so they don't feel like it's time intensive, and they don't have to have a lawyer to come in. So that's really important for people to understand. Um, in addition to enforcement, we do a lot of education and outreach through our policy and communications division. <clears throat> And we recently got very involved with the work around hate crimes. Mm. So uh, as many people know, in the last few months, there have been symbols and language around hate left in the city. Uh, We don't know if there are folks that live here doing it or people coming in from outside our, you know, D.C. boundaries. But uh, MPD also released a report earlier this year saying that there was an increase in hate crimes um, against the LGBT community. Uh, against the Jewish community and against uh, immigrants. So we've been working closely with the Mayor's Office on Religious Affairs, MPD, and uh, the Mayor's Office of Community Affairs to make sure that not only do we act quickly when we hear about it, but we provide support to those communities that feel they've become they've come under attack. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> if a swastika is found, if flyers, you know, uh, sending out false information, are found, we try to go out and take them down and help the community understand we don't know where it's coming from, we're investigating it, and we're on top of it. I, 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 I kind of stumble for words on this because I can't believe that this is uh, still happening. Um, and that's a whole other 
political rant that I won't go into. But um, but it's good for businesses to know if you see absolutely. something, please call nine one one. You know, I think many of us were trained growing up that you know don't call nine one one unless it's you know some terrible violent crime is happening. Actually, no, we want people to call this in because the Office of Unified Communications, which is the nine one one three one one call center, they're being trained on what to do. They're alerting us so that we can mobilize resources. So we want to know. Um, there were flyers recently left, I think, in Bloomingdale, mm-hmm. very close by, and mm-hmm. um, just kind of white supremacy language. And it was absolutely white supremacy language. <laughs> not only do we want to get those out of here, but it's actually against the law to put flyers on cars in the district. <laughs> it's a civil penalty um, to do that. So you're not supposed to leaflet on cars, number one. Number two, you also can't. There are very clear restrictions about posting things on Lamp posts and oh, um, light peeve. posts. My pet peeve. Right. So we um, we want to know about it. People, you know, don't feel helpless. Don't feel voiceless. Just call it in. Well, and I, you know, I think your your point uh, earlier about the fact that you know you're you're there to provide resources um, without the need for attorneys. I I think that is um, so valuable because uh, you know I. You, situations happen and and people think well you know if i report it it's not nothing's going to happen and you know i could lose my job and you know it, there's going to be retaliation or you know it's it, what's the point of complaining right um and, and of course they think about well i can't afford a lawyer to fight this so you know i think a lot of things just don't get reported and that's that's an incredibly unfortunate thing, and I'm so glad to hear that you have this program available uh, and welcoming people to come in and talk. Thank you. And if I could mention one more law. Please. There's the Protecting Pregnant Workers Fairness Act, mm. and that also recently um, was enacted maybe two years ago now. Um, there was a little bit of uh, complication around which agency was doing all the enforcement. We were doing part of it, and the Department of Employment Services was doing part of it. That is now shifting entirely to OHR, we expect, in the very near future. But I want women to know, in particular, if they should become pregnant and need an accommodation, right, if there's something that's a risk to their health or the health of their unborn child, they can get they can request an immediate accommodation. Let's say a cashier needs a chair or someone needs more bathroom breaks, or someone needs more time to go to doctor's appointments. To be fired because you're asking for that is against the law in the district. It's also against the law for an employer to say, you know, you're, you're getting on now, you're more than six months pregnant, I, you know, I don't think you should come to work anymore. And it happens so often, and women feel that they have no choice. We will investigate those claims, and we want women to know they can come in, call us, and we can work with them immediately because often it's time-sensitive, right? It's your right. health. And You and can't you wait bills. six months. Yeah, and yeah. you want to keep your job. You're welcoming a child into the world. So that's another law that I'd love for people to read about, hear about, and come to us if they need help. Great, great. Uh, and that is all on ohr.dc.gov. There are fact sheets. There are uh, resources to read. There are um, there's all sorts of good information here. So I encourage everybody to go take a look at it, whether you are a community member or a business owner. There's a lot of good stuff here. Um, we will keep in touch with you guys because I, I feel like this is something that we – need to talk about on a regular basis as we have new businesses join the community and across the district 
Um, I think that uh, there's no such thing as too much information when it comes to stuff like this. I agree. Um, so, um, so Director Palacio, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, it's been a great pleasure to talk to you, and um, we will have you back another day. Fantastic. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Okay, now it's time to check in with Casey at Good Food Market. Good morning, Casey. How are you? Good morning, Kyle. I'm good. How are you? Pretty good. Pretty good. So, as, as always, what is going on at Good Food Markets today? Yeah, we've, um, we've got a lot of summer produce that's coming in from Lancaster Farm Fresh. Um, I've mentioned our partnership with them before, but we're really excited to um, finally see, you know, some of the local corn coming through, not just stuff coming from the East Coast in Georgia, um, but we're getting things out of Pennsylvania. Um, watermelons are coming here. We have amazing yellow watermelons, um, red watermelons. Um, and for people who are into cantaloupe and honeydew, we are going to have those as well. Um, we've struggled a lot with melon at the store. <laughs> there don't seem to be a lot of melon fans in our neighborhood. Um, but I've seen people get really creative with some savory melon salads. You can add things like cilantro and salt and onions. Um, and it's a really fun way to, you know, change up your, your usual salad. Oh, man, a little balsamic on that. That's good Yeah, stuff. exactly. Like watermelon with balsamic and some tomatoes. Really good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then for all the people who are looking for um, some canning projects, we are stocking cans now, the, the ball jar cans, um, in pint sizes for a wide mouth and a um, regular mouth. And we're bringing in second tomatoes specifically for that reason. So people who want, um, you know, tomatoes to slice and tomatoes for maybe something like bruschetta, we have um, the first pick of tomatoes on that. And then there are seconds that would typically go to places like restaurants um, or food production. And we'll be selling those at the store for a discounted price for anyone that wants to, you know, make sauce or um, make jam, things like that. Um, we're going to have as many as we possibly can. Fantastic. So we're super excited. Fantastic. Um, and you've got a, a, a great new program that, that's rolling out. You want to talk about we that? We do, yeah. So Good Food Markets has always had the idea, you know, since we've opened, that um, we're community-driven, right? We're a mission-driven grocery that really relies on on the city's support, the neighborhood support, um, and it's not just a grocery store, right? Feeding people and providing access um, goes beyond just our, our retail shop. And so we've started to expand on the Good Food Market's name, and we're now doing something called Good Food Delivers. Nice. Um, we've piloted that in our own shop with our um, Good Food to Go line, and that's what you guys have seen a lot with the prepared foods, um, these salads and these pastas that we're making and we're now trying to take that to, to seniors in Ward 5. Um, right now, the pilot program has 75 seniors that we are doing home delivery service meals to. So they get you know breakfast, lunch, and dinner for the whole week through our program. And we have an amazing drive team and prep team that's been putting this all together. Um, but we're able to fully feed 75 seniors every single week. And uh-huh. we were... Um, chosen by the mayor's office to to fulfill this project and so far you know we're in week two now um and and they hustle i tell you they've got all the deliveries done by like 11 o'clock um and it's we're really really excited about this program so if you ever see the truck parked outside of of the shop we only got a rental right now but you know we're hoping to get our own pretty soon and be able to do this in more wards in the city that is fantastic that is great yeah it's phenomenal 
that you know we had um, we had the folks from Seabury Resources in uh, a couple of episodes ago, and the the whole age and place uh, issue. This you know we we want to make sure that we keep our beloved seniors in the neighborhood as long as possible. Mm-hmm. This is a great way to make sure that that they stay as independent as possible as long as possible. Exactly. I mean, we've we've got the food, right? And and a lot of these people just can't make it to the shop. Um, and we've been trying to figure out ways that we can make it possible to get the food to them. And having our own delivery program straight out of the store wasn't necessarily possible. But, you know, with partnerships like Seabury and with um, we're cooking food out of Union Kitchen, they've been massively helpful, too. Um, you know, people have really come together on this, and it proves that collaboration um, makes all the difference. We absolutely could not have done it on our own. We were able to prove that we couldn't do it on our own. Um, and so, you know, we're, we're really excited by these partnerships, and we can't wait to be able to do more of this. Fantastic. That's fantastic news, Casey. Um, yeah. So for uh, if listeners want to find out more about this project, where, where are they going to find out information? Yeah, so um, we have some information on our website as well as on our Facebook page about the Senior Delivery Program. Um, along the line of food access, DC Greens has also put out their um, 2017 Farmer's Market brochure that we are um, carrying in our stores. It's a free brochure that they make every single year for each ward in the city. Um, and so DC Greens has information on their website about some of these programs as well as we have information on our website. Um, but if you want to come in and talk to us, we are more than happy to share information on that. This is, you know, people who, um, you know, are either shopping at our store or looking for extended benefit if they're either on um, Medicaid, EBT, or WIC. Um, they're able to extend their dollars at farmers markets um, throughout the city. And then we have a map of the places where you can redeem that stuff um, in the shop. Great, great. Yeah. So website is? The website is goodfoodmarkets.com, so food, singular, markets, plural. Um, and we're at 20th in Rhode Island. Uh, we're open from 11 a.m. to 9 p.m. Monday through Friday and 8 a.m. to 9 p.m. on Saturday and Sunday. Perfect. All right. Well, thanks a lot, Casey. Keep up the good work, and we'll talk to you next week. Thank you so much, Kyle. Talk next week. Bye. Okay, that is going to wrap up another episode of Rhode Island Avenue Radio. Thank you all for tuning in. Be sure and head over to iTunes and um, give us a few stars of approval. We would appreciate that. Uh, And we will uh, see you all next week. Bye-bye.